2014, BIA Chief in India, and we're reading Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 2, Chapter 9, Text 35. Okay, we can read this together. Everybody ready? Ready? Yatamahanti Bhutani Bhutashu Chaswa Chesanu Radhistanya Radhistani Tatateshu Nateshan O Brahma, please know that the universal elements enter into the cosmos at the same time do not enter into the cosmos. Similarly, I myself also exist within everything created at the same time I am outside of This, of course, we talked about a chincha beta beta tattva with 33, although in 33 the verse itself was just saying the oneness. So 33 in and of itself was just saying the oneness, but Prabhupada emphasized the difference in the purport, and so in our discussion we talked about a chincha beta beta tattva. Here, the Lord himself is describing a chincha beta beta tattva, that I, I myself also exist within everything, and at the same time, I'm outside of everything. So this verse in purport, and here you see again, I put on the board from Adi 156, Srila Prabhupada's summary of the verse in purport. And this verse in purport really helped us to answer the question of how can we become detached? How can we become detached from illusion? Because that was our big question at the end of the last verse, right? So I'm in this illusion by my own desire. How can I come from darkness to light? How do I do it? How do I get out of this? Because I'm sure we notice that our attachments seem to keep coming back or that they keep manifesting in subtler and subtler Forms, You know, you'll think, okay, well, I dealt with this attachment. And then, you know, there it is again. Maybe in a different form, maybe in a more subtle form. And it may be very difficult. Also, another thing that I find devotees often believe is that we think before I can become attached to Krishna, first I have to become detached from Maya. That I, I can't focus on Krishna until I'm very pure, until I've gotten rid of all my anartas. So we have what appears to be this sort of never-ending struggle with illusion and this difficulty with how do I become attached to Krishna when I'm so full of anartas. Hmm. I'd like to read Vanaswami's translation of this verse. Uh, Vanaswami has translated the whole Bhagavatam with Vishnu Chakravati Thakur's commentaries and the way that he's arrived in his translations and this is, if any of you are scholar types, then you may want, if you're not a scholar type, you can ignore what I'm saying. But if you're a scholar type, you may want to pay attention to this. There's one, uh, one of my godbrothers who's uh, at this point part of a different sangha, he's not part of his country. And he was pointing out that there are some, in some cases, very significant differences between Srila Prabhupada's translations of certain Bhagavatam verses and Swami's translation in his book that has also the commentaries of Vishnu Chakravati Thakur. And this godbrother of mine was asking, are these Vishnu Chakravati Thakur's 
translations. So no, they're not his translations, because Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur was commenting in Sanskrit, so he wouldn't translate Sanskrit to Sanskrit. Uh, what Bhattaswami did, the way he arrived in his translations, was he took the commentary of Vishnu Chakrabadi Thakur as a guide for how he would translate the verse. But I, I, in some cases I find it's, it's sometimes nice to look at a variety of translations. Hmm? And it opens things up sometimes when it's unclear. Yes. Yes, it does, it does. And, of course, Srila Prabhupada has given us the instruction that we should study every verse from... Anybody know? Many angles of vision. We should study every verse from many angles of vision, and oftentimes having a variety of translation aids in that. So, of course, Srila Prabhupada's translations also, I'm sure most of you are aware, are not literal translations generally. Srila Prabhupada generally did not give literal translations of the verses. First of all, if you literally translate from one language into another, you actually lose instead of gain. Because one language does not translate with the meaning intact, literally from one language. It just just doesn't work. You actually lose something of the meaning instead of gaining it. The other thing is that many times the verses are flowing from one verse to another. But we have the, shall we say, interruption of the commentary. And sometimes the way Prabhupada translates was to link a verse to the previous verse. So the verse may just say that or who, but what is the that? What is the who? Now, if you're just reading the verses without the commentary, you would understand. But when you're reading the verses with the commentary, you forget what was it talking about three verses ago? So Srila Prabhupada will often insert what we call in English the proper noun instead of the pronoun. Another thing that Srila Prabhupada did was he would weave things from the Acharya's commentary, Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, Baladeva Jibhushan, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, Jiva Goswami, Sanatana Goswami. He would weave their statements from their commentaries into verses. So he wouldn't just use the commentaries to translate the verse, he would put sometimes phrases or sentences from the commentaries into the verses to make things clearer for us just reading the verses. So anyway, I, I personally find it's often helpful to read different translations. So I thought you might find this interesting. Banaswami's translation. Just as the elements enter into all beings and also remain separate, I enter into all beings and remain separate when I perform my pastimes. In pastimes related to the material world, I remain detached, and in pastimes related to devotees, I am attached. So I thought that really added a different perspective. Uh, sometimes I like to look at very literal translations. When I'm, when, uh, generally, whenever I quote the invocation of Ishopanishad, I just give the very literal translation. Do you know what the literal translation of the invocation is? This is complete, that is complete. From the complete, complete comes. When you take the complete away from the complete, the complete remains. So that's a, a very literal translation. And I find that often very helpful to use a literal translation, especially if I'm preaching to yoga groups and new age type People. They really appreciate that. All right, little point there.
So here we're going back again to the Abchinta Beta Beta Tattva, which is the main theme of this verse. Uh, as we discussed yesterday, that God is both imminent and transcendent. So if anybody can remember from yesterday, da, da, da. I mean, it's hard. You have so much information being thrown at you in a very short time. Um, what is the problem with if you just see the oneness, if you just see God as imminent? What is the problem? Why can't you live by that philosophy? Yes, if you just if you just see, if if all you understand is that God is imminent, that God is everywhere, that everything is God. God is everything, everything is God, and God has no separate existence. You mentioned that then we cannot offer to God. You cannot offer to God because there's no God to whom you can offer. You can't have a relationship. You can't because what was the definition of Maya again? Seeing something separate from God. How do I reconnect with God if God has no separate existence? This is the irony, of course. You're saying reality is seeing everything's connected, everything's part of God, but how do I connect if everything is God? How do I connect? Would it connect everything to itself? Then you're not connecting. There's no yoga. So if you just, if you only see that God so, so first Krishna says I'm everywhere there's only me there's nothing else but me there's only me an illusion is to see that there's something that's not me at the same time I'm there and not there I do have Krishna saying here a separate existence everything is me if you see that something is not me that's maya at the same time I am separate I do have a personal existence. After all, it's Krishna, aham, talking to Brahma. There's a person, Krishna, in the spiritual world, in the reality, in Vaikuntha. Brahma's in Vaikuntha. It's not just the whole creation is speaking with some voice. You know, it's not just that all the everything just starts talking. There's a person with a form who's the aham. So if I see everything as Imminent. If I see just the oneness, there's no yoga. Everything's me. Then how do I have a relationship with it? There's no relationship. Again, all you can do is what? You can just what? Be. You can just exist. So if everything's God, I'm God, you're God, everything's God. And that's true. But if that's the all there is, then the only thing we can do is just exist and have awareness of existence. You can't do anything. Is this clear to everyone? And this, the people who have this philosophy that just everything is gone and everything is imminent, they cannot live by this philosophy. There's nothing you can do. You can just meditate to discover the oneness. You can't, otherwise you can't function. And we find that it's a very world-negating philosophy, interestingly enough, because although you're saying everything is spiritual, you can't do anything with it. Do do you follow? It seems to be a very world-affirming philosophy. Everything is spiritual. But it it means that you you don't interact with the world. You don't act with the world. 
You simply get into existence. All right, what's the problem with the philosophy that's just transcendent? That says that God is absolutely different from the world. That everything is separate from God. Then I cannot reach Him. Yes, yes. You also become negative to the world. And you can't, what can you not do? Hmm? You cannot be. You can't dovetail anything. Hmm? Even you cannot be. Then you cannot even be. You can't dovetail anything. You can't use anything to serve God. The world becomes the product of some devil. You know, and again, then you'll go off to a monastery someplace and you then you observe silence. And all you can do then is pray. You, you start, you then see the world, that philosophy that God is only transcendent leads to secularism. So the prevalent religions in the world right now are, are transcendent religions. Yes? Yes. Um, the, the sociological definition of secular, we discussed this yesterday when you weren't here. Maybe somebody could explain to Harsh who was here yesterday. That would be better than my re-explaining it. Who can explain what does it mean to be secular? We discussed this yesterday, right before lunch. Yes? To see everything separately from presence of God in the world, to separate everything from the world, education, politics, management of the state, everyday life, keep the God in the church. Yes. That, that everything is interpreted without reference to God. It's the opposite of Shastra Chakshus. Secularism is the exact opposite. Like this is one of our aims of Shastric study, Shastra Chakshus, to see through the eyes of the scripture. We all interpret. You all know that we don't see reality, right? We understand our interpretation of reality. Do you all know this? Is, are any two of us here having exactly the same experience? No. If you ask everybody here afterwards, what was the class about? Will everyone give identical answers? No. So that means none of us are experiencing some objective reality. We're all experiencing something subjective through a filter. If we're illusioned, the filter has a different color depending on what modes we're in. All right? So we want, what we want to do is we want to substitute our mode filter with a Shastra filter. So secularism is don't have a Shastra filter for the world. Don't have Shastra glasses. Don't see the world through Shastra. As, as religious people, we try to explain our own personal life and we try to explain the events of the world through the eyes of Shastra. What does Shastra say about this? A secular person says, whatever you do, don't use Shastra and God to explain anything. That's not allowed. You have to come up with another explanation. If a secular view of psychology would explain psychology in terms of biological survival, for example, or evolution, or history, 
okay, but it's insufficient. Evolution's not okay, but the other ones are okay. You know, but it's insufficient. I mean, you, you can say that the reasons that Australians are so in your face and independent and a little crude is because the ancestors of Australians were all... History, history, history. Who were the first people to live in Australia? Not the Aborigines. The first, the first Europeans to live in Australia. They were what? Criminals. Thank you. Australia was a was a penal colony. It was, they were criminals. So the first Europeans. You don't know your history, guys. It's terrible. So the first <laughs> Europeans to live in Australia were criminals. It was it was a penal colony. Huh? You don't know anything about Australian history. I taught Gurukula for 27 years, so I know all kinds of things about history and geography. Russian history. We can talk about Russian history. You want me to talk about Russian history? Okay. Okay, so why in Russia do you have so many skilled craftspersons and artists and musicians? Why are so many of the population skilled in the arts and crafts and services? History. Export to Germany? No, what did Stalin do? Stalin. What did he do? Make everyone shudra. He didn't make everyone shudra, he <coughs> killed oh, all, the, all the rest. He killed everybody else. If you weren't a shudra, he killed you. <coughs> if you were a Brahmin or Ksatri, he killed you. So that explains why the society is very rich in the arts and the skills. So that's a historical explanation. Why are the Australians a little rough and, and in your face? What is this word? Which word? They're like, okay, mate, let's go do it now. That's what they're like. They're very, they're very um, blunt. I don't want to say it negatively. They're very blunt. And the Australians don't have a sense of um, hierarchy. They see everyone as equal. They don't like authority very much. Why? You could explain it historically. You could explain historically because the people who first settled Australia were criminals. That's a secular view. You follow? Why does somebody do what they do? Why do people act in a particular way? It's secular. That's secularism. Why does India have its lovely education system of all rote learning? Because the British imposed it on the Indians. Why did the British impose it on the Indians? They wanted clerks and, and sudras. So they created an education system to create shudras, and they wanted very low-level shudras. They created an education system that discouraged independent thought and creative thought and taught rote learning. They didn't have that kind of education system in Britain, and it isn't the original Indian system. So that's a secular lens. We just explain certain things in the world, and our explanations are secular. Do you follow? Did we give a Shastric explanation? No. Did we give an explanation by the modes of nature? Did we talk about material design? No. We gave a secular explanation. 
In this case, it was all historical. Doesn't secular also kind of underline that it's not direct atheism, but basically it's considered that every religious thought is subjective, therefore we stick to objective reality, which is different. Okay, well this is, you're going, uh, uh, okay, we can go there. We can go there, just let me check. Okay, we can go there. Um, if you want to look, this is this is a little side. Okay, we're we're going, we're, we're climbing down our tree here. We're we're going over to a little flower garden <laughs> next to the tree. We'll come back to the tree. Um, this is a little aside. There are two main branches of secularism in the world today, and both of them come from religions. This is back to our tree again that are either entirely transcendent or entirely imminent, but primarily religions that are entirely transcendent. A religion that's entirely transcendent removes God from the world. God is up there somewhere, and the world has basically nothing to do with him. Your only connection to God is through purely spiritual things, such as prayer, and scripture, but you can't connect the world itself with God because the world has nothing to do with God. That's a transcendent philosophy. The major religions in the world today are all transcendent religions. Christianity is very much a transcendent religion. It didn't used to be. Original Christianity is not purely a transcendent religion. I'm not sure about Islam. I don't know enough about Islam. But Islam is also very much a transcendent religion. So there's two forms of secularism. This is a side note. We're back in the flower garden. These are two, there are two forms of, of secularism, both of which Srila Prabhupada smashes over and over and over again in his purports and his lectures. You do not need to know this for your Bhakti Shastri exam. So this is just completely... If you bring it in, that's fine, but, you know, there won't be a question on this. Um, One kind of secularism is called empiricism. It's also called positivism. It's also called modernism. Modern has, the word modern in this case has nothing to do with a particular time. Empiricism, positivism, or modernism says there is objective truth. And that truth can be known with the mind and the senses, and if we know it, everyone will agree about what it is because it's objective. So empiricism, positivism, modernism says the truth can be explained by a mathematical formula. The truth can be explained by chemistry, physics, and mathematics. It's an objective truth like a chair. The truth of everything is some sort of mathematical formula or scientific formula, and we can learn that truth through our mind and senses. That's one form of secularism. That truth can be accessed through the mind and the senses. You do not need Shastra. You do not need to follow the path of the Paramahamsas. You do not need to perform any kind of devotional austerity. You don't need to change your identity. You don't need to be free of illusion. You don't need any of that. You just need to use your mind and senses and you will find truth. And when we find truth, everybody will agree. 
And every, any truth that everyone doesn't agree about can't be truth. Therefore, religions can't be truth because we don't all agree about religions, do we? Even in the same religion, not everybody agrees. Isn't that correct? Even among our GBC, they don't all agree about everything. Just, by the way, if you thought they all agreed about everything, they don't. So that's positivism. It's, it's one form of secularism, and for a long time it was basically the form of secularism. And you can see Prophet smashes this a lot. You cannot know the absolute truth simply through your mind and your senses. You need revealed knowledge. You need mercy. That's a very prevalent theme in the verses we've studied so far, isn't it? You need to please the truth who reveals himself. And this truth is not a mathematical, chemical, or physics <coughs> formula. This truth is a person. Therefore, when you know this truth, will, you, will everyone know the truth the same? If all of us saw Krishna today, would we all describe him exactly the same way? No, we wouldn't. Because he's a person. Right? Even Arun Charan Prabhu here. Right? Do all your friends, would they all describe you exactly the same way? No. Because you're a person. We could all describe this table exactly the same way, but we wouldn't describe a person exactly the same way. The fact that the absolute truth is described differently by different persons does not mean that they're all wrong. It may mean that the absolute truth is a person instead of an object, but they don't consider that. Okay, the other kind of secularism is says there's no absolute truth. This view is called post-positivism or post-modernism. This is the yatamatatapat view. Whatever, whatever you do, it's all right. There's no absolute truth, and anything anybody thinks is true is true for them. That's post-positivism. So the post-positivists say there's absolutely no absolute truth. Think about that one. They say there's absolutely no absolute truth. The post-positivists also say that everyone's truth is as good as everyone else's truth. That everyone has their own truth and everyone's truth is just as good as everyone else's truth. Of course, they don't really believe that. Nobody believes that the Nazis are just as good as anybody else. Except maybe some Nazis. You know. Do you follow what I'm saying? If my truth is that, that I enjoy you know, killing people and cutting off their ears, that, my, that truth is not, most people are not going to accept that that's as good as anybody else's truth. So, as I pointed out from the beginning, you can't live these philosophies. You, you actually can't live, a false philosophy cannot be lived. It's one of the evidences of a false philosophy. You can't actually live it. So, of course, Shiva Prabhupada smashes this kind of secularism also. Shiva Prabhupada says, no, not that whatever you do, it all leads to the same goal. Not that everybody's truth is equally valid. Not that everybody can make up their own process and their own truth. Now, what we do is we actually accept a little of both. We say there is an absolute truth. We agree with the positives that there is an absolute truth. And we agree with the post-positivists that we're all individuals. And therefore, our realization of that one truth is going to be different, even on the liberated stage. But anyway, those are the two main forms of secularism that happen, now we're going back to our tree, that happen when 
you have a religion that's entirely transcendent. Whenever you say God is not connected with the world, then all of a sudden you cannot see the world spiritually. You see the world materially, and you'll see the world materially in one of those two ways, that everything is just um, machines, that the world is just a big machine. There's no, there's no life, there's no personality, there's no spirit. Everything is simply matter. We are just matter, and we will understand truth through matter. Or you see that everything is personal. We're all persons, we're all individuals, we're all subjective, but there's no ultimate truth. It's all just personal and subjective. So those are, those are the two ways that transcend... If you only think that God is transcendent, that you can't, you can't use the world. Whereas with the chinchabeta beta tafa, okay, Krishna has entered into everything. I myself exist within everything. Therefore, this table is part of Krishna. It is Krishna. I can connect it with Krishna because it is Krishna. And at the same time, I am outside of everything. I can connect it with Krishna because there's someone to give it to. Hmm? If these are your cartels, because they're yours, I can give them to you. And because you exist separately from the cartels, I can give them to you. I can't give them to you if they're not yours. And I can't give them to you if there's no you. If, if you are the cartels and you don't exist separately, I just... Okay, cartels. I can't give them to you. Yes? There is a philosophy who is saying that you, they're not existing because they're always transcending themselves. Who? Huh? There is a philosophy who is saying that God do not exist because he's always transcending himself. Whatever you say is God, he is not anymore because he's already transcending. Well, that just took my mind spinning. Okay. So that sounds like some variety. You know, these two main schools, they have many varieties, you know, if you want to study these things. There's, there's many sub-branches and varieties of the positive and post-positive view. Uh, by the way, this verse is an answer to Brahma's question about how the Lord performs material and spiritual pastimes. You remember that? That Lord Brahma said, how do you perform material and spiritual pastimes? And it's in this verse particularly... Uh, Vishnu Chakravati Thakur mentions that the Rahasyam is there. Remember what the Rahasyam means? Rahasyam means that? Confidential. Confidential, the mystery. Right? The real mystery is given here. And we're going to read from the purport. The body of the human being and the body of the mountain, as also the bodies of the demigods, including Brahma, are all of the same ingredients. Earth, water, etc. And at the same time, the elements are beyond the body. The elements were created first, and therefore they entered into the bodily construction later, but in both circumstances they entered the cosmos and also did not enter. So this is Krishna's analogy. Just like there's earth and there's earth in a pot, so there's me and there's me in the world. So the point is here that the Lord is in every atom of the world, and yet he exists separately in his own abode. And this can only be understood through... Yes, because it's achincha. It can only be understood through love, through through mercy. Right? I gave the I talked about the Brahma Samhita verse, Sekopi Sora Chaitam. I told you all to imagine the universe is in the body of the Lord. 
And I told you all to imagine the Lord and every atom, and then I told you to put them together and we couldn't do it. <laughs> so one can only understand that through revelation. How are we going to understand? We can't understand it. And in fact, we don't have to fully understand it to love Krishna. In fact, as, as I was saying the other day, love is based on surprises and mystery and unfolding. So that there's always more to know about Krishna, that we can't fully understand Krishna. That Krishna continues to be fascinating to us eternally. That's part of love. By the way, we are fascinating to him eternally too. So the impersonalists, they only imagine Krishna as what? Energy. Energy. They only imagine Krishna as all-pervading. And just mental gymnasts, they can't imagine the truth at all. And I always wondered, what did Prabhupada mean exactly by mental speculation? And one time I was, I was going to a seminar about education, and during one of the breaks, the members were talking with each other, and they were talking about, well, how, do we really see anything as it is? Maybe we don't really, maybe it's just the mind. Well, how does the mind work? And do we really touch any objects? And is there, and I thought, oh, that's mental speculation. <laughs> uh, we can understand through the disciplic succession. We talked about, this is a recurring theme, isn't it? Srila Prabhupada keeps repeating this through the disciplic succession. So, uh, now we're going to enter a little bit here into Vishnu Chakravati Thakur's purport about how the Lord is existing separately in the spiritual world, although he's fully in the material world, and that the Lord is detached from the material activities and attached to the spiritual activities. And it's this understanding of the verse that will help us to answer the questions I raised at the beginning of the class, that how do I deal with my attachment to illusion? How do I get out of illusion? How do I get the desire to get out of illusion, which we explored at the end of the last class and talked about at the beginning of this class? So Vishnu Chakravati Thakur says that the Lord's pastimes are televised into the heart of the devotee. And this is another example of Krishna's entering and not entering. Krishna's pastimes are going on in, this, in the spiritual world, far away. And yet, they exist in the heart of a devotee. And Prabhupada, of course, talks about this quite a lot. Yes? What do you mean by far away? Because there is no material space when we consider the heart. It's a matter of consciousness. All right, but Goloka Vrindavan is far away. Yes, but it's far away in consciousness, not in space, no? Well, it's also far away in space. He is very far, but he is also very near. It's also very far away in space. Isn't it lovely talking about these verses in Ajinta Beta Beta Tad, where we go into these sort of discussions? So it is very far away because the universe is so many billions of miles wide, and then there's the covering, and each covering is ten times thicker than the one before, and then this whole universe with all of its coverings is just in the causal ocean, and the causal ocean is a cloud in the, in the great Vaikuntha, and in Vaikuntha there's Goloka Vrindavan. So, I win that one. I, I win. I, I win. <laughs> so like, how can there be distance in something that is aviatural? How can there be distance beyond Mirage River? The distance is not anymore physical. Yeah, you're right too. You win that one too. That's 
the whole point of this verse. That's the whole point of this verse. That Krishna is far away and he's not far away. That Krishna's leelas are very far away. They are very far away. You get in an airplane, a Vaikuntha airplane, and you go there. Gopal Kumar, when he goes there, he travels. He travels. He gets in an airplane and he travels. And he goes through the universe, and he goes through the coverings of the universe, and he goes to Vaikuntha, and he goes to Goloka. He actually travels, and it's a long way away. You can't even get to the toenails. So very, very far away. That's the separate. I am outside of everything. Krishna is outside. He's far away. He never leaves the spiritual world. But at the same time, he's entered into everything. He's in our heart. And if Krishna is in our heart, then Vrindavan must be there too. Wherever there's Krishna, there's Vrindavan. And Krishna means all of Krishna's incarnations. So that means you can turn the knob on your television and you can see. Are you managing some sort of worldwide project here? She keeps going out to answer the phone. I'm wondering if she's managing like 300 people all over the world. To keep contacting her. I was talking about being a secret agent for Krishna. Maybe she's a secret agent for some government somewhere and she's managing all of her people all over the world. So you can turn the knob on your television and you can see, you know, Krishna's Leela in Vrindavan, Krishna's Leela in Dwarka, in Mathura, Ram's Leela. You can see all the incarnations. Like that astrologer who came to see Mahaprabhu. You know that story? I love that story. I love that story. This astrologer came to see Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Oh, can I tell your astrological chart. I will tell you, I will tell you, he said, who you were in your last life. <laughs> so, Nimai Pandit. God is so much fun. He's this young boy. He's just so much fun. He says, oh yes, I would like to know who was I my last life? So the astrologer was a Vaishnava. He worshipped a deity of Gopal that he carried with him. So he starts praying, my dear Gopal, please let me help this Brahmin boy. Please show me who he was in his past life. And then he enters into a trance. And then he sees the great ocean of devastation. And he sees the sages in the boat and Matsya Avatar pulling the boat. And he sees the beautiful golden form of Matsya with the golden horn and Basuki wrapped around the horn pulling the boat. And he's completely in ecstasy. And then he comes out of his trance and he says, I'm still working on you. Praise <laughs> go, Paul, please. Please, I'm so happy you showed me this vision of Matsya Avatar. Thank you. But I'm trying to serve this Brahmin boy. Please tell me, who was he his last life? And he says his mantra and he goes into trance. And he sees the demigods and the demons again with Vasuki said churning under a mountain and there's Vishnu on top of the mountain and he sees Mandara sinking into the ocean of milk and that beautiful Kurma with his multicolored shell and his ornaments he comes swimming through the ocean of milk and he's got itch on his back and he goes under the mountain and the mountain is scratching his itch and polishing his ornaments 
and as Krama's breathing, the ocean tides are imitating his breathing. Lord, he's feeling such ecstasy. He comes out of his trance. He says, um, pretty soon, pretty soon, you get an answer for your question, you know. And he sees all the different avatars. And then finally he says, I'm really sorry, it, it seems that my mantras aren't working today. And I'll come back later. And then Nimai Pandit says, actually, my dear sir, I know that in my last life I was a cowherd boy. He said, and because of my piety and caring for the cows, in this life I've taken birth in a Brahmin family. So anyway, the devotee in their heart, they can see all the different, they can tune to the Matsya television, the Korma television, the Ram television, and the Singha television. And the pastimes are actually enacted in the heart of a devotee. Does anyone know at what stage of advancement that happens? From Shraddha to Prim. At what Baba. stage? Bhava. Yes, at the Bhava stage. Um, and the Krishna is also, he's very attached we mentioned earlier, to fulfilling the desires of the devotee. Remember we talked about Brahma's desires? That he had desires, that the devotees cannot be desireless. So Krishna is also there in the sense of fulfilling the desires of the devotee because they're all full of devotion. We are not meant to kill desires. We are meant to cultivate devotional desires, desires to please the Lord And that is true even in this world, because this world is also Krishna and Krishna's energy. So we are meant to have desires in this world to connect everything with Krishna. And the desires of a devotee like Brahma are all fulfilled. Krishna wants to fulfill, actually Krishna fulfills even the desires of the non-devotees. But because non-devotees' desires are not very nice, so Krishna says, you know, if you want that, you're going to have to work for it. You understand? If you want that, you have to work for it. I'm not just going to give it to you. Just like a child at home, if they want something that the parents don't want them to have, they might say, you know, I'm not going to buy that for you. You want that, you go get a job and you earn it yourself. But the devotees also should... Work hard to fulfill that. Oh, do the devotees work hard? Yes, yes. Are we are we supposed to work hard? No work. No, we're not supposed to do any work. No work. You now have my permission. You can quote me. What are we supposed to do? Service. Is service supposed to be work? No. It's activity. Is it supposed to be work? It's supposed to be what? When you're active in something that's fun, what do you call that? When you're active and busy in something that's not work, what do you call the activity? Play. But in the beginning, it was not a play. Bhaktivinoda says that if it's work and not play, the responsibility, he says this in Jaya Dharma, is entirely whose? Who is responsible if it's work and not play? We are. Can it be played from the beginning? Yes. Yes, according to? Yes. 
It's a hard struggle with determination. But it should still be blissful. And, and the, the hard struggle with determination part, please try to make this as short as possible. Okay. Adushrata and Sadhusanga are blissful, and Nista and above are just blissful. The problem is Anista Bhajana Kriya. That's the, the hard part. But even that should be blissful. Please make the hard struggle with determination very, very quick. Please do not stay in Anista Sadhana Bhakti. Dangerous place to stay. Don't stay there. Go through that as fast as possible. It's like a bad neighborhood. <laughs> you know? It's like, it's really, it's really like a bad neighborhood. You want to drive through it as quick as you possibly can. Mm. But no, everything we do should be play. If it's not... If, it's, if we're experiencing that what we're doing is work, then we're doing it in the wrong consciousness, frankly. And who, who can do something about that? We can. Bhaktivedanta Chakur says in Jagadharma, that is entirely our responsibility. That is not Krishna's fault, my dear friends. It's not Krishna's fault. If we are experiencing bhakti as work and not play, that is not Krishna's fault. It's not that, well, Krishna just hasn't come and waved his magic wand and made it all play. It probably means, it probably means we're not really doing bhakti. We are not doing bhakti. Prabhupada said, I'm not saying, Prabhupada said, if you're eating but you're not satisfied, then either you're not really eating or there's parasites in your stomach. So if you say, I'm doing bhakti and I'm not joyful, then either you're not doing bhakti or you're offensive. So we tend to focus on the you're offensive part, but it's also entirely possible that we're not doing bhakti. Or maybe we're both not doing bhakti and we're offensive. <laughs> then, you're, then you're really in trouble. But... Often we're not doing pure bhakti. We're often mixing karma and gyan with our bhakti. Or sometimes yoga. Sometimes we mix yoga with our bhakti. 
So if it's not joyful, because karma yoga, jnana yoga, and jnana yoga isn't only joyful. So if you're not running around offending the devotees, and, and we can offend the devotees and think that it's our service to offend the devotees, by the way. <laughs> hey, I've thought like that too, lots of times. So, you know, I'm not pointing the finger at anyone else. I've, I've had many times when I thought it was my service to offend the devotees. I didn't think of it like that, of course. I just thought it was my service. I thought, I'm just doing my service. And my service is to tell you how bad you are. And how wrong you are. And always do those like that. What? And you always do like that. Do I? No, no, I'm saying, oh. normally you <laughs> say to the person that always do like that. Uh-huh, yes. Well, so I can think that's my service. I can think. Do I? So do I always do that? Oh my god! So I'm thinking. You know, I I I I catch myself thinking like this. It's my service. You know, I have to purify Iskon. So to purify Iskon, I've got to tell everybody how wrong they are and how bad they are and how fallen they are. And I've done this so many times. So you know, we can be regularly offending devotees without knowing it, and we can also be doing mixed bhakti and think it's bhakti. And these, these two things, alone or in combination, will make bhakti work and not play. So if, you, if your bhakti is work and not play, then you're doing it. I mean, that's just... I'm sorry. Madhurya Kadambani, Vishnu Chakravati Thakur says, if you say you're not offensive, um, but you're not experiencing joy in your bhakti, then you must be offensive. You know, if I'm there going... I'm not sick. <laughs> but you have symptoms that you're sick. Then you're sick. Yes? Yes? Yes. Okay. What does Krishna say? Pratyaksha Bhagavan Dharma. Su Sukha. Pratyaksha. What's your experience? Your experience is going to be joyful. Prabhupada If you're not being joyful, you can't make any advancement. <laughs> the experience of bhakti should be joy. If it's not joy, it's not bhakti. Beginning, middle, end of the story. Yes. So, no, we shouldn't be working. If you're working, you're doing something wrong. Don't be working. Even if you're working for Krishna, that's not bhakti. That's Krishna karmani. Bhagavad Gita 12, 10. That's not yet bhakti. It's, you know, some nice sukriti, but it's not bhakti. So, working for Krishna, okay, that's better than working for Maya, but don't work for Krishna. Love Krishna, serve Krishna, play. Everything should be play. We should experience whatever we're doing, whether we're studying Bhagavatam or cleaning the toilets or, you know, dealing with our non-devotee relatives or working at a job. We should experience that this is all service for Krishna and this is play. So all the desires of the devotee like Brahma are all fulfilled. As I said, Krishna fulfills everyone's desires, but for the non-devotees, the desires are fulfilled, but they have to work for them. They have to do tapasya for them. Yes, we also have to do tapasya, but our tapasya is blissful. Tapo me ridayam sakshat atmaham tapasya. Our tapasya is the heart of God, and in the heart of God, there's only bliss. And there's only play, and there's only fun. So, Jiva Goswami and Vishnu Chakravati Thakur and Krishna Das Kaviraj all make the point that in commenting on this verse, that the Lord enters into the hearts of his devotees and yet 
remains outside available to their senses. So in this way, also, Krishna enters within and Krishna is outside. By the way, in our last class today, Krishna Rowan, which will be after lunch, when everybody's blood will be in their stomachs instead of in their brain, we are going to have the most ecstatic verse. Why are we doing the most ecstatic verse after lunch? Uh, where we will be explaining the verse in terms of, of bhakti and also in terms of rasa. But this verse does deal with this rahasya, this deep secret. So it's not only it's not only about how Krishna is the table and yet not the table. It's not just about that. It's also about how Krishna is in our hearts, enjoying Leela in our hearts, and at the same time he's outside of our hearts. So this is some Vishnu Chakravati's purport, and I just have it here word for word because it's just so sweet. Rahasya means confidential truth about Krishna. Yes. And uh, what does it mean that Krishna is person? This means. Or... It means, well, the Rahasya is about Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojana. So it's everything. The Rahasya is, first of all, yes, that God is a person. Therefore, he's outside the creation. He's not only, I am everything but he is also a person outside the creation. And the rahasya is, if you want to know him, you have to know him through love, through devotion. By having him enter into our heart, manifest in our heart, and at the same time serve him outside. And the rahasya is also that I am part of Krishna, as Prabhupada gives here. Right? We didn't read this, did we? should have read it. Bad, bad, or Mila. I'll read it. Okay, this is Prabhupada's expansion of the verse, not summary of the verse. (laughs) Summary of the verse in purport. I love teaching. I really do. I I, I always learn more. I always learn more than than I teach. It's wonderful. Thank you. And I love teaching devotees so much. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. All right, this is Adi, from Adi 156. It's on the board. This verse instructs that the Supreme Personality of God is by his inconceivable energies is simultaneously one with and different from the living entities and the material energy. That means Krishna is one with you. You are Krishna and you are not Krishna. You are Krishna and you are not Krishna. You are Krishna and you are not Krishna. I am Krishna and I am not Krishna. The little ant that bit me yesterday. That's Krishna and it's not Krishna. One, one good devotee friend of mine wrote me a letter this morning how another devotee is really giving him a hard time, driving him crazy. What did, what did he call it? I forget what word he used. He used a nice verb. Hounding, uh-huh, hounding. You know what a hound is? A hound is a kind of dog. And you use a, a hound to chase foxes. The uh, aristocracy of Europe, they would use hound dogs to, to, <coughs> to follow a fox and, and kill the fox. And even now, police officers, they use hounds to follow criminals. 
or they use hounds to find out if you have any intoxicants in your luggage or if you're carrying any Tulsi leaves to Australia. <laughs> seriously, really seriously. No, no, no. In Australia, New Zealand, and in Hawaii, probably some other places, but those three places, you cannot bring in any animal or plant product if you bring in any animal. Because these are islands, and if you, they have their own ecosystem. So if you bring in something, you can destroy the ecosystem. So they're very strict. And Australia is the strictest in my experience. So, you know, the, if you have anything made of wood, you have to go in a special line, a special queue, the agricultural queue. So the Japa beads, you have to go in that queue. And then they have hound dogs coming in. You usually have to lie and say, oh, I bought this in Australia, or I bought it in New Zealand, and then they let you. But you say, I bought it in India, forget it. They'll take it away. You know, or you have to pay a big amount of money and then they keep it for a month and they fumigate it. So like if devotees want to bring in redungas, real redungas, clay redungas with leather heads, they'll, they'll fumigate it for two months before they let it into the country. Yeah, they're really strict. And if you don't declare something, then they give you a big fine. So if you say, no, 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 I don't have anything. And then they find you have a sandwich with a tomato in it. You know, seriously, I'm really serious. You'll be fined like $200. And they'll make you throw it away. So they're very strict. And, and the Japas, the Buddhist kind of thing? You can take if you say you bought it in Australia or New Zealand, then you can say. <laughs> if you say, no, no, I bought this in New Zealand. Or like I had peacock feathers from my deities. You know. But you have to declare. You have to say, I have a conch shell, I have peacock feathers, I wouldn't be. You have to list everything. Otherwise, you're in big trouble. How did I get there? Where was I? Oh, yes, hounding. So there were hounds there to look at the thank you, super so. I was completely lost out on the, one of the leaves there of the tree. So <laughs> they have hounds. So he said, this devotee's hounding me all the time, always hounding me. He's working on some project, and this other devotee is saying, when will it be done? When are you going to do this? Why haven't you done it this way? How am I going to tell anybody? Where is this thing? Where is this? You know. And this devotee wrote me, he said, he said, some other devotee said that I should see everything as the embrace of Radha and Krishna. So how am I going to see this devotee hounding me as the embrace of Radha and Krishna? So I wrote back a little story, and I said, many, many years ago, I said I was in a situation where there were two devotees who were hounding me, and they were harassing me and bullying me for many, 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 many months. And I was in great anxiety. And I didn't know what to do. And then one day, I remembered that Maharaj Prickett saw that Krishna had taken the form of the Brahmin's curse. I remember I was cooking, and all of a sudden, I thought that, ah, Prickett saw that Krishna has taken the form of the Brahmin's curse. So I turned off the stove, there was nobody else in the house. I was at my son's house. And I sat down and I said, okay, I meditated on Sham here, Shamasundar here in Vrindavan. And I said, all right, there were two people. And I thought, okay, one of these people, one of these persons, they can be Sham's right arm. And the other person, they can be Sham's left arm. And Sham is coming to embrace me with these arms. And I was like, yes. Everything is very nice. How, why was I talking about that? Hmm. Where did I get to that? Being able to help Krishna and 
Yes, okay, how Krishna enters everything. Krishna even enters our difficulties. Even we can see our difficulties. Here is Krishna. That Krishna is, has taken the form of these difficult persons because the living entity is not different from Krishna. The living entity is one with Krishna. Why can't Krishna use a living entity? Right? We always see it when it's the, the good side. Then we see it's Krishna, yes? Yeah, so another story I tell a lot. So I was looking at my collection of saris and I thought, okay, I have a few silk saris, but it'd be nice to have one more. I thought I could use one more. Ah, what would I like? Well, I'd like it to be beige, a light beige with an embroidered border. That would be really nice. Kind of a thick, really high quality. I used to shop for the devotees all the time, so I learned a lot about fabric. And I thought maybe next time I go to India, I'll buy one. Oh, it'll cost $40. That's a lot of money. I don't think I want to spend that much money. Oh, forget it. I don't really need it. So that was the whole thought. Well, like 20, 30 seconds. You know? And then I forgot about it. And then three days later, this was I was running the school. Three days later, one of the devotee, one of the children's parents, Golkananda Priya, Parijata's mother, she pulled up to pick up her daughter. Oh, Armila, I have something for you. Oh, what's that? And she hands me this sari. <laughs> like I had ordered it. Like I had gone to the market, you know, and given a custom order. I started to cry. I said, Krishna, I'm so sorry. I asked you for a sign. Please forgive me. I felt really bad. I was like, Krishna, I'm sorry. I asked you for some material thing. I mean, I hadn't asked Krishna. I just thought about it. So I saw this devotee, Galokananda Priya. I saw that really, who was giving me the sorry? Galokananda Priya Devi Dasi? Krishna was giving me the sorry. It was so obvious. We've all had this experience. Everybody's had this experience. Right? When I was brand new in Krishna consciousness and I saw the Maha sweets and I thought, wow, I'd really like a piece of burfi. And then when devotee comes and says, Ramila, I have a piece of burfi for you. <laughs> or I was doing a particular austerity about eating and I was thinking, it'd be nice to have some cashews. And I came back to my room and there was a bag of cashews. You know? Oh, it's Krishna. So the same when somebody's harassing you. It's Krishna. It's Krishna. We see it's Krishna when I think I want a burfi and there's a burfi. You know, we see it's Krishna when I'm meditating on a sari and there's a sari. But when, you know, when I'm not meditating on anything and somebody comes and steals my sari. Actually, I was in Puerto Rico. And at that time, I was extremely poor. I mean, I was so poor that I had absolutely nothing. Just completely nothing. A few sets of clothes. I mean, I, had, I really had nothing. And one devotee had asked me to help in her business, which I didn't enjoy doing at all. The main thing I learned from that is I didn't want to work in any business. But anyway, she asked me to help in her business, so I was, I was it was terrible. We were selling like hand cream and, and all these things that nobody needs and we were selling them for a lot more money than they were worth. So we were selling something that nobody needed for more money than it was worth. It was just terrible. And we were doing it like book distribution. We were going up to people and, hey, come over here! You know. I hated it. But anyway, I was, I was helping her out and I was making like $50 a week. And that was all that I had. So I had earned $100. 
and I had it in my room. And I went to give a class at the Sunday feast, and I didn't lock my door. Usually I left my door unlocked. But for Sunday feast, I should have locked my door. Anyway, I didn't lock my door. So I was giving class, and I was giving class about how we should be detached. (laughs) So you already know what happened. (laughs) So we also see that's also Krishna. That's also Krishna. Like in the Bible, it says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the holy name of the Lord. Prabhupada said, Krishna has ten hands. When he gives with ten hands, then you can't even receive it all. And when he takes away with his ten hands, you can't hold on to it. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Personality of Godhead, by his inconceivable energies, is simultaneously one with and different from the living entities in the material energy. Therefore, whatever happens to us, it's Krishna. It's Krishna. There's nothing separate from Krishna. He's one with and separate from. When we get a benediction from another living entity or from the material nature, it's really Krishna giving. When we get some horrible thing from another living entity of the material nature, it's really Krishna. At the same time, different from. You can't say, well, I can hit you and that's Krishna hitting you. You know, it's also different. If I hit you, then I get the karma. Krishna doesn't get the karma. Krishna used me for his purpose, but Krishna doesn't get the karma. I get the Unless I'm on the battlefield as Krishna's instrument, in which case, then I just get bliss. I don't get any karma. And the material energy. And the material energy. So whatever we get from the material energy, we understand this is also Krishna. But not Krishna. Prabhupada saw the bombs falling. He said, oh, this is the Vishnu. This knowledge is called a chintabeta beta tattva. When an individual living entity surrenders to the Supreme Lord Krishna, he can then develop natural transcendental love for him. Now, why is Prabhupada talking about that? Because Krishna is also separate. Therefore, I can surrender and I get love. This surrendering process should be the primary concern of a human being. Why should I surrender to Krishna? Because he's everything and he's separate from everything. Okay, now I'm going to read from Vishnu Chakravati Thakur's purport and then we're going to do something that I hope you will enjoy. I mean, I hope you've enjoyed all of this. (laughs) This should also be play. Your study of the Shastra should also be play. We are not studying the Shastra so we can surrender to Krishna after the class. Okay. Studying the Shastra is also bhakti. What we are doing now is bhakti. We don't want to be future-oriented and fruitive-oriented. We're not studying that. We shouldn't be suffering studying the Shastra. All right, I'm going to study the Shastra. Although I'll become Krishna conscious later. But we should become Krishna conscious while we're studying the Shastra. Okay. Yes. Okay, now, finally, I keep leading up to it and not giving it to you. purport. Finally! Yes. The entrance of the elements into the living beings is without attachments, since the elements are not conscious. Like the ether, though I am conscious, like a man who lives in his house without attachment, I remain without attachment while entering, regulating, and protecting all beings. My pastimes are without attachment in relation to the elements and the living beings within the material world. So what are Krishna's pastimes in relation to the material world? Creation. Creation. The Purusha. We've talked about this a lot in this canto, haven't we? We talked about this. This is very much second canto. Mahavis, you're all like totally saturated. By the time you're here at the very end, the next chapter is the last chapter. The very end of the second canto. 
Mahavishnu, right? Kurundakshai Vishnu, Garbhadakshai Vishnu. No. Yes. Shiradakshai Vishnu. Thank you. So, how they're. And how are they doing it? How is Kurundakshai Vishnu doing these pastimes? In his? Sleep. Yeah, Karinarnava Jalei Bhattisma Yoga, Nidram Anantativananda Saramakupa. No, the other one. Um, the one before that. Anyway, the one that says Yoga Nidra. I'm getting tired. The one that says Yoga Nidra. So he's in his, his sleep. Mahavishnu's in his sleep. So he's detached. Pretty detached if you're doing something while you're sleeping. We have that expression. Oh, I can do that so well. I can do it in my sleep. Yes? We have that as an English expression. I can do that in my sleep. I don't, and what does that mean? I don't have to give it any attention. I can do it automatically. Automatic pilot. You understand? You put the airplane on automatic pilot. Like if you drive someplace and you drive there every day over and over and over. I mean, you have to make sure you don't hit another car, but you know the route. <laughs> we had a house once, and then we, we were renting, then we bought a house, and the house we bought was just very close to the house we had been renting. Very, very close. So a few days after we moved to the new house, I'm driving, and I drove to the old house. Because it was almost the same route, you know? And all of a sudden, like, oh, <laughs> I don't live here anymore. That's automatic pilot. You can do it in your sleep. Right? Every day I used to make japati's dal rice soji. And I could do it in my sleep, practically speaking. So Krishna, he's, he's literally... I can't literally drive in my sleep. I can't literally make japati's in my sleep. But the Lord, he literally is creating the material world in his sleep. So detached. I'm just creating. And he doesn't touch. He just looks. Hey, wake up. He doesn't touch. And he's not enjoying matter. He's enjoying his lila of creation because everything he does is enjoyment. Uh, but he does not. He's detached. Okay, yes, you can have what you want. Look, that's a really nasty thing to want. You shouldn't want that. It will be bad for you. You want it? Okay. That's very detached. Right? If you're attached to someone, you don't just say, oh, okay. You stop them. Krishna is very detached. Okay. But I desire to show myself to my obedient devotees who have entered my heart, who have perfected themselves and bowed to me, remaining separate, not entering their hearts. I desire to offer my beauty to their eyes. Okay, what, where are we now? What stage? For those of you who know Madhurya Kanambadi, where are we now? Now we're at Prema. Now we're at Prema. In Baba, the, the pastimes of the Lord are televised in the heart of the devotee. At Prema, the Lord disappears from the devotee's heart. And he appears in front of the devotee. And of course, Madhurya Kanambadi was also written by Vishnath Chakravati Thakur. So, and he's relating this bhava and prema to this verse of the Bhagavatam that the Lord is in our heart, televised in our heart, and then he's appearing outside of it. But I desire to show myself to my obedient devotees who have entered my heart, who have perfected themselves and bowed to me, 
remaining separate, not entering their hearts. I desire... How many of you know Madhuri Kadamani? You've read it and you remember at least 50% of it. Who here has read Madhuri Kadamani and remembers at least half of it? Anybody? Oh my, my dear friends, read that book. It's a very short book. And, and it's very difficult to be remembered. <laughs> <laughs> it's a difficult book. <laughs> I have, even been, have been studied three years ago. I don't remember it. Okay. All right, all right. Sorry. Does anybody have Madhuri Kadamani on a computer? Does anyone have a computer? I see some people with computers. Anybody have Madhuri Kadamani on a computer? Ah, harsh to the rescue. <laughs> Do you have, like, the database there? You have the PDF of it. Okay, go to the um, eighth shower. Great. I should have planned that for this, but I didn't know that I was... I'm going to add that. Add. Add. This is the first time I'm teaching. I probably shouldn't have told you all that, but this is the first time I'm teaching this. So. even after you've taught something ten times, at least I, I often add things I find, oh, I'm going to tweak it this way and that way. Okay, let me know when you found it. Because I was just realizing it would be really nice to read that section from Vishnu Chakravati Thakur and contrast it to this section from Vishnu Chakravati Thakur. Because from Madhurya Kadambani, it's from the viewpoint of the devotee. And here in the purport, it's from the viewpoint of Krishna. If you don't memorize anything else from Madhuri Kanamani, memorize this part. And I pretty much memorize it like 70, 80%, but I'd rather just have it actually the real. I'd like to give you 100% instead of 70%. Have you found it? You don't have it. Okay, you're going to have to go with my 70%. So I apologize. So if you go and read the actual Madhuri Kanamani and you find something different, please excuse me because I'm just, I'm just at 70%. So the devotee is meditating on the Lord in bhava. He sees the Lord in his heart and then the Lord disappears from the heart of the devotee. So who, where do we read about this in Shastra? Who did this happen to? Dhruva, Narada. Anybody else? King Malayadwaj, fourth canto. I'm sure there's some other instances. So the Lord disappears from the heart of the devotee and then he appears in front of the devotee. And the devotee first sees the Lord's beauty and he's so overwhelmed with the beauty of the Lord. It's like all of his senses have become eyes to try to drink in the beauty of the Lord and he's so overwhelmed with the beauty of the Lord that then he faints. And then... Then the Lord manifests his fragrance and he fills everything with his fragrance which revives the devotee. And then the devotee is so overwhelmed with the fragrance of the Lord, all of his senses become like a nose to smell the Lord's fragrance. What is the Lord's fragrance? What is it? A guru? Yeah, chachushava. What is it? Mas, Mas, Mas a guru? Sandalwood? One more. Chachu. One more. One more. 
Musk and Gurus and camphor maybe? And camphor. So the devotee smells this fragrance. You know, the residents of Vrindavan, they can usually tell where Krishna's hiding because his fragrance lingers in the air. So they smell this fragrance so overwhelmed. And all the senses become like a nose to smell this fragrance. Again, the devotee swoons in ecstasy. And then the Lord speaks. He says something, you know, my dear, he calls you by name, huh? Whatever our eternal name is. And this revives the devotee and the sound of the Lord's voice is compared to what? What's the sound of the voice of the Lord is compared to? Thunder, yes, the thunder. And the this sound of the look, of the Lord's voice is so ecstatic. All the senses of the devotees become like ears. You try to capture all the sound of the Lord. And then the devotee again faints in ecstasy. And then the Lord revives the devotee by touch. So if the devotee is in the rasa service, the Lord puts his feet on the devotees. And if they're in Madhurya Rasa, he braces them to his chest. If they're in Sakya Rasa, like he's shaking the hand of Lord Brahma. And the devotee is then overwhelmed. All of his senses become like touch. And the devotee is again overwhelmed with the, the sense of touch. Lord, again the devotee faints. And then Vishnu Chakravati Thakur says, and here I'm going to disagree with Vishnu Chakravati. He says that only to the devotees in Madhurya Ras then does the Lord give his taste, that he kisses the devotee and they get to taste. And then all their senses become like taste. So I will disagree with him because Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says that all of us get to taste the Lord. How do we all taste the Lord? Oh, that's true too, but I wasn't thinking of that. Where does Mahaprabhu says we get the taste of the Lord's mouth? Yes. Mahaprabhu says, you know, you get this the prasadam, and it's all ordinary ingredients. He said, what is this extraordinary taste? He says, that is the, the Lord's saliva. So I respectfully disagree with Vishnu Chagavati Thakur. <laughs> he says, only those in Madhurya Ras, they taste the Lord. But I'd say all the devotees who are tasting prasadam, they taste the Lord. But anyway, this, in this case, only the devotees in Madhurya Ras are kissing the Lord. So I don't really disagree with it. But anyway. And then the devotee again, all of his senses become like a mouth to taste the Lord. And again, the devotee swoons in ecstasy. And then Krishna manifests his mercy and revives the devotee. And then the devotee experiences all of these simultaneously. The Lord's beauty, the Lord's fragrance, the Lord's sound, the Lord's touch, the Lord's taste, all at one time. And he's trying to capture everything and he can't capture because it's so overwhelming. So that's Vishnu Chakravati Thakur's description of prema from the point of view of the devotee. Now in this purport, he's going to explain that from the point of view of Krishna. But I desire to show myself, he says, to my obedient devotees who have entered my heart, who have perfected themselves and bowed to me, remaining separate, not entering their hearts. I desire to offer my beauty to their eyes. I desire that my fragrance enters their nostrils and desire to fill their ears with the nectar of my sweet voice, speaking with them and answering them. I desire to make their limbs experience the sweet softness of my body 
touching and embracing them, thus situated inside my devotees and externally as well. I perform pastimes with great attachment for my pure devotees beyond the gunas who I cannot give up. Was that nice? Very nice. Um, I mentioned yesterday when you talked about how Krishna is the mind, when you talked about that what you got from Bhagavad Gita was among the senses, I am the mind. Remember I said that Krishna says this to the gopis at Kurukshetra? And here I have it. 1047-29 My dear gopis, just as the five material elements of earth, water, fire, air, and ether are all pervading in this material world and present in the bodies of all living entities, in the same way I am always present within you. I reside in your minds, senses, and your life breath, for I have taken shelter in all these places. And Prabhupada, writing in Krishna book, says that as long as we have the mental functions, we cannot be separately from Krishna. Uh, so this verse indirectly describes prema, the rahasyam, or great secret. So why indirectly? Because Krishna told Lord Brahma, I'm going to give you this rahasyam. So why is he doing it indirectly? So in Bhagavatam 11.21.35, Krishna says, I like speaking indirectly. I enjoy it. And I talked about this the other day. Krishna also sometimes likes speaking very directly. I mean, sometimes Krishna says, get up and fight. Sometimes he's very direct. Go to see what's happening in Hastinapur and let me know how Dhritarashtra is treating the Pandavas. Sometimes it's a very direct instruction. Now, of course, sometimes when Krishna gives a direct instruction, the devotees don't follow it. Uh, my dear young girls, why have you come here in the middle of the night? Go home. <laughs> and they said, no. <laughs> Of course, it's interesting. Krishna spoke pretty much exactly the same verse to the wives of the brahmanas, and they said yes. But anyway, Krishna does sometimes give a very direct instruction, uh, but Krishna also likes speaking indirectly, both. And I talked about this the other day, how when we're very intimate with somebody, we can speak in an indirect way and they understand, and that's a great pleasure for us. We all really enjoy that. When I can just say, the blue chair, and they go, oh yeah, I remember that. Right? And you don't have to say anything. You just say a little something, or you just even look at something and go, <laughs> you all understand what everybody's talking about. So Krishna really enjoys that. That gives him great pleasure to have what he's saying. After all, it's a mystery. Hey! Ooh. <laughs> Even the monkeys in Vrindavan want to come and take the notes for the bhakti. <laughs> so be very careful. Now take birth as a monkey. If you want to enter the class, you won't be allowed to enter. Okay. So, our original question here is how do we become detached? How do we give up illusion? And the, the answer 
is that above material detachment is spiritual attachment. Yes, Krishna is not here, but he exists spiritually. That is the, the, um, that is the solution. And Krishna is hankering to be with us. Cure material attachments with spiritual attachments. If we want to stop watching the material television, literally and figuratively, even if you don't have a television, you know, to watch everything in the world, then we have to start watching the spiritual television. We get so many articles submitted to Back to Godhead. This is wrong with the material world, and that is wrong with the material world, and this is wrong with the material world, and that is wrong with the material world. Chan Hare Krishna. End of article. <laughs> we call them Pop Goes the Gita. What? Pop. You ever see a Jack in the Box? Do you know what Jack in the Box is? It's a little toy. You wind it up, and then it pops out. We call it Pop Goes the, Pop Goes the Gita. But they'll put one little verse at the end. You know. So for the neophyte devotee, generally, the emphasis is on, let me purify myself, let me get rid of my inartas, let me get rid of my material attachments. But that is actually a mistake. Please don't do that. Please focus on getting attached to Krishna. If you focus on getting attached to Krishna, naturally, you'll become detached. Many reasons why. Because if you become attached to Krishna, Krishna will show you how behind him is Maya and the living entity. He'll show you. And when you see what Maya is, we'll naturally become detached. Also, if we start really liking Krishna, we'll want to give up our attachments in order to be with Krishna. We'll want to give up our attachments to be with Krishna. I read once about how this one man, he had so many girlfriends, so many different women, one after another after another didn't like any of them, just used all of them. And then one day he fell in love with one girl. And as soon as he fell in love with this one girl, he didn't want anybody else. He wanted to give up all the other girls. Do you understand? Does that make sense to everybody? When we really love Krishna, then we want to give up our other attachments. It's really exactly like that. It's like really we're meant to be with Krishna and we're having so many affairs with Maya's various forms. Isn't it exactly like that? Yes. Exactly. So if I love Krishna enough, even in this world, if I love somebody enough, I'm willing to happily sacrifice for them. I'm willing to give up even something that's very important to me, that's very dear to me. Like nothing. Like it was nothing. If there's enough love. All right. Um, so again, we're going to have two choices of what you can do. Um, this, I think, would be really fun to do as a group, but I never want to force people to be in groups. So if you want to do this on your own, that's also fine. But this, I, I think you'd enjoy doing this in a group. Oh. Old bodies are not fun. So choice one,
It is described how you would like to give pleasure to each of Krishna's senses. How would you like to please Krishna's sight and hearing and smell and taste and touch? And second choice. Leela's What did you like to have in your heart television? And don't just say all of them, okay? Pick, you know, one or two. Don't just say, Krishna's Leela's. Round Leela's. Pick something. Like, if you want to say, Krishna's Leela's, would you like to have in heart television you know, Krishna dancing on Kaliya, or Krishna killing Kamsa. Like for a long time, I really, really wanted to see Arjuna killing Karna. I wrote a whole article and poem about that. You know, or if you want to pick Ramlila, what part of Ramlila? <coughs> I really want to see Jatayu's fight with Ravana. That's mostly because of an experience I had with Shiva Prabhupada. But, you know, what, what do you want to see? You want to see Ram and Sita getting married? You want to see them returning to Ayodhya? You want to see Ram killing Ravana? You know, it, pick some, something specific. And then, I want you to make a plan. Don't pick more than two. One or two, please. We don't have much time. Probably one, maybe two. A plan to start meditating. On that Lila. And you could say, I don't know, Mom. I thought you said that was at Baba. And I'm not at Baba. <laughs> okay. What's at Baba is that the, the direct spiritual pastimes are transmitted into the heart. Before Baba, though, one can meditate on those Lila's. And Lord Kapiladev says that if you meditate using the mind, the mind acts as a hook to attract the Lord. So if you using if we use the mind to meditate on those leelas, and Prabhupada will use the word imagine. Prabhupada says imagine, and then he says, but that is not false, it is real. Who imagined he was serving Krishna, but it was real? The South Indian Brahmana. So if one imagines these leelas with the Shastra, then Krishna will become attracted and then Krishna will eventually decide that he'll show you the real thing. All right? So we have 15 minutes. Um, You can work on your own or you can work with a partner or you can work in three as you like. Please just pick one of these and then we're going to ask in the last couple minutes uh, for people to share.